Number one, the number one best piece of advice I've been given has been to be myself. Oftentimes I've felt that people wanted me to be someone who I wasn't. And in almost every single situation where I tried to be something that they wanted me to be or do something that I'm not capable of doing, I failed. From Hamster Wheel Publishing, this is Blunt Dissection. I'm Dave Nickel. On today's show, I'm joined by former US Marine turned marketing guru, Bill Schroeder. Bill has a fascinating career path and attended Western Illinois University, where he gained his degree in electrical, electronic, and communications engineering in 1991. Following graduation, he enlisted in the US Marine Corps. After surviving the legendary Marine Corps boot camp in San Diego, he went on to serve as a helicopter mechanic plane captain, and then as a reservist, training NCO and section leader. Following his years of service, Bill started his first business and spent several years working in field surveillance and private investigations. But in 1998, he and his wife Katie decided to move in a new direction and began what would turn out to be the start of a two-decade and counting love affair with veterinary medicine, founding InTouch Practice Communications Inc., a business which has grown phenomenally since inception and has helped thousands of vets step successfully into the digital age. Bill has completed the Veterinary Management Institute's Practice Management Program at Purdue University's Cranert School of Management, graduating in 2010, where he has returned to help teach the marketing segment to students ever since. Now, before we jump into the episode, I wanted to drop a very quick word from the sponsor, which is VetEx Leaders Community. If you're a manager, owner, or a team leader in a vet practice and people are your biggest challenge, then Leaders is designed for you. As a member, you will learn how to build a high-performing team based on three vital areas. Recruitment of the right people, management of those people, and your leadership skills. This is a unique deep dive into the world of high performance where I will be your personal mentor throughout. I will be teaching, mentoring, and you will have access to all of the templates and frameworks I've used to run successful vet hospitals over the world for the past decade. So if this sort of training would improve your practice performance, head to VetEx Leaders to learn more. Now back to the show. Bill's passion for helping his veterinary colleagues succeed is just incredible, and his ability to see also a glass half full make him a great person to spend time with and listen to. These traits, coupled to his mischievous sense of humor, storytelling gift, and infectious laugh, truly make him a joy on the ear. So without further ado, sit back and enjoy this conversation with one of my favorite humans, Mr. Bill Schroeder. So welcome to another episode of Blunt Dissection. We are in the exhibit area of Las Vegas, the Mandalay Bay Convention Center. There's, again, I love the acoustic burble in the background. We may have the occasional rattle of wheels or barking of dogs as dogs feel past or just you know uncomfortable squirming as as i try and put my my wonderful guest today through the ringer so welcome to blunt dissection mr bill schroeder it's a pleasure to be here i really in all honesty i've looked forward to doing this for a long time and i don't know this might seem like really kind of weird but like kind of like fomo type of uh type <laughs> of a deal you know i'm like you know we've been friends for a long time and 
we've kind of kicked around doing this and I was really thrilled when you said let's let's make it happen. I have been threatening you with this for some time and finding time and and some context probably some context to our relationships probably a little bit helpful probably not too much context. Yeah. Let's <laughs> Now, so I knew that I'd be uncomfortable at times during this interview, but I didn't know it would happen so quickly. Instantly. That's a feature. It's a feature of my game is just how quickly I can make, you know, other human beings feel like uncomfortably awkward in moments. So as you said, we have been friends now for a number of years. We first encountered each other in Washington, D.C. And I think, and the reason I wanted you to be on the podcast is, I think you have a very interesting story. You're not a veterinarian, but you have a, a major impact on the veterinary profession over here. And some of the numbers and, and the scale of the things that you do are very interesting to me. But so is also your journey, because you've had a, I think it's safe to say, a sort of rich, the weave of your tapestry is colorful, rich, and, and it's an interesting journey that I thought would be great to capture. Just don't look at the backside of that tapestry. <laughs> We're not. There's, there's threads <laughs> hanging out all over the place there. Right. I'm going to start off, Bill, with a question. And this was a moment. I'm going to take you back to a moment. So you and I had, after a London Vet Show, we jumped on a plane and flew up to Edinburgh. And I wanted to take you to a game of my favorite sport, rugby. Thank you for that, by the way. And we were, we were crossing a road in Edinburgh. And I just want to check you can say the name right. Edinburgh. That's good. That's good. That's not bad. <laughs> there was a lot of practice there. I we, didn't want to go because the original, I think I called it Edinburgh. Edinburgh, yeah. It was, I think, Edinburgh. Edinburgh? Ed Edinburgh. That's what Americans always call Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah. So you did very well. You got your burra. Yeah. You've rolled your R's. Edinburgh. So we're in the street in Edinburgh, and there was a moment that summed you up beautifully. And that was, we were crossing the street. I don't know if you remember this. We were crossing the street, and there was a, a lady on a, a little wheelchair, a motorized wheelchair, a little buggy. And she was going to cross the road. And somebody, I don't know what happened exactly. I didn't quite see, and I think you saw. And somebody walked right across in front of this lady and sort of cut her up a little bit. And she was upset about that. And so, and quickly, you turn around, and this is rather typical of things that you do. And you, with a big smile on your face, said, hey, is everything okay? Are you, are you fine? And you made her feel special and then listened to her. And she, just, she went from a frown on her face to a smile on her face. I do remember that, yeah. And, and then she went, we walked on her way and it was just a moment. It was just a little moment in time. But the wonderful thing about that moment, you, you described them as, you know, you just see little things like that and you describe them as threads coming apart. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, strands falling apart on, on the tapestry. And you just like a little zipper moment where you just zip those things back together. Where does that sense of caring for the world around you come from? Oh. What's that all about? Wow, that's a really big question. But I suppose if I were to knee jerk it and like dive back into it, I think it'd be from this like really interesting thing. Well, I'm really interested in people. I guess we could just say that. Right. And I believe that people are so important and that any organization or any group or uh, society is dependent upon the people that make up that group. And if you have the interest in being successful in anything, whether we're talking about business or life or a marriage, you better care about the people that are around you. So 
Thanks for recognizing that. I mean, I really didn't realize that you were paying attention to me doing that. And I, do, uh, I occasionally pay attention to things. <laughs> well, that's not what I was saying. It, it's just, it's kind of like I'm having one of those moments now where you, you sit back and you realize that other people are watching you, <laughs> right? And it, that's, I guess that kind of leads to where this is coming from. Like, always realize that you're in someone's view and that you have the opportunity to have impact on someone. And it can be a positive impact or a negative impact. And I don't do it consciously, but I try to make more positive than bad, right? Have you always been like that? Like, where does that come from? Because that was just a moment and it seems instinctive for you. I've seen you do things like that over and over and over again. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that, that I, you know, I, I like spending time with you. Thank you for that. I don't know where it comes from. I think I want to be treated properly. If we're going to be really honest about this, I think that there's a bit of selfishness involved there too because I believe that people will mirror the treatment, right? So right. that if I treat someone kindly, then they have no, well, they've got choices, <laughs> but it's more likely they'll treat me nicely. Let me tell you a story. So years ago, I was in a Subway sandwich shop Okay. You can smell them before you can see them, right? Yeah. Do you have that? Yeah. But I don't know. What do you mean? Like about you half can, a mile away. You can well, smell here in America, they're at least they're, every half mile. They're at least every the half mile. smells of subway. <laughs> so you're probably standing in front of the one that you just passed. <laughs> All right. T- so, so I don't remember this lady's name, but I wish I, I did. And she was working at the, the counter, and we went walking in there. She had this aura around her of positivity and it was almost like a bubble that was unpenetrable is that how you say that you can't you couldn't penetrate the the bubble of kindness and she was full of pleasantries and you know i hope you're having a wonderful day and you know she created a situation where it was just about impossible for somebody to come in with negativity and if they did well they would bounce right back out and uh and be left in their negative way, you know? So I think about that a lot. And I think about that young lady that was working at the subway, and I think what impact I can have on myself and others by just being considerate. Right, right. We're being joined by a canine companion. Yeah. We're going to have dogs wandering around. The great thing is it's a veterinary podcast. Right. So it just adds value <laughs> to every, all of the listeners. It's like legit veterinary podcast with dogs and everything. So... That's probably a nice sideways place to go. So let's talk a little bit about what you do. Actually, let's take it back further than that. In true, true blunt dissection fashion, let's take it back in. How did Bill Schroeder wind up in veterinary medicine? Wow. I guess if I were to rewind it all the way back, and I'd love to tell you that it was part of this master plan that I had. You know, like, like I sat down one night and I said, okay, I want to work in veterinary medicine and I'm going to grow the company and do this and, and have the honor of speaking to thousands of veterinarians. You know, but it's not that. It's more accidental <laughs> than anything, you know. And I'll tell you, so my wife, Katie, who you know very well, she started a company uh, known as on-hold advertising, okay? And yep. we did the custom telephone on-hold greetings. So, yep. so this like is that. whilst you're waiting on the phone. Yeah, 
Yeah, right. Got it. Messaging on hold. Kind exactly of thing. right. Because she used to work in Chicago radio. I don't know if you know that. I or did not. not know that. Yeah. So she was on-air talent in Chicago radio doing that. And most on-air people will find a side gig that has something to do with their voice. So they do voiceovers. And Are you telling me that Katie should be on the podcast? I really question why it's the hell I'm sitting here, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually something I want to make very clear here, that she doesn't get enough of the credit. You know, she doesn't get the attention or the accolades. It usually comes to me because I'm the big ham that's forward-facing out there speaking. And right, right. You know, so I really, I'm really happy to speak about the fact that it did come from Katie. The root is that Katie started this you know, message on hold firm right. 25 years ago. Okay, so take us back then. Okay, so we thought we were going to be big in pizza and hospitality. And we started in those markets, okay? And we had these national accounts with just people we couldn't stand. People that, you know, in my memory and how I put it together, you know, and the pizza people in particular, I'm sorry if, you know, you have a huge listening base in the pizza, the pizza industry. I'm a trained pizza chef, by the way, so you're about I, to... I love This could be this. the end of a friendship. I love learning this. So, here's the deal. <laughs> have I made you they pizza? Were, they were really... No, you've never made me okay, pizza. Okay, we'll, we'll get on that. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's my read on it. They get beat up by consumers right. all the time right. over, you know, a $30 pizza yeah. you just think about it you order yeah. a pizza it comes to your house and it's not exactly what you wanted you're getting on the phone you're yelling at the guy they ruined your dinner and now the length of time that it would take to repair that mistake is just not acceptable because you were hungry and you were waiting on it <laughs> so now if we were to make us the slightest bit of a mistake on something they're accustomed to yelling being yelled and screamed at well that's what they would do to us and there are some backstories that take longer than this podcast but we decided that we weren't happy in the space and we were going to look for things that made us literally made us more happy were there any moments in particular that stand out in your mind that you just like the moment this the straw snaps and you're like i'm oh, yeah. going to veterinary medicine oh yeah i'll tell you exactly my oldest daughter madison uh who you know obviously she had broken her foot and uh, she had broken her foot and i knew it was broken we were on our way to the hospital and she was crying in the back of the car. And I did pick up the phone and say, hey, I can see who it is that's calling. I know that you're a very big account of mine, basically is what I'm thinking, but I don't wanna send you to voicemail. So I said, Madison's in the back of the car, screaming and yelling, much like this dog is yapping in the back here. So excuse me, I know she's broken her foot. And he says, how far are you from the hospital? And I think he's concerned about the fact that, you know, get her there quick. And I said, about 10 minutes. And he goes, I'll only take five minutes of that time. And I said, no, you won't. And he goes, if you hang up this phone, we're no longer going to do business with one another. And I hung up the phone. And now I went into the sweats because <laughs> I had to tell Katie that we weren't going to have this account anymore. And sure enough, amazingly, he did leave us. Right. He did pull his business from us. And it was a very small issue that he was going to speak to me about. But my point is that he was so selfish and it made me feel horrible about myself. And I wanted to be happier and I wanted to surround myself with people that are very happy. Now, fast forward, okay, to that night, actually. I go home and we sit around the, the corporate headquarters, which was our dining room table at the time. And we said, well, who makes us happy? 
And we happened to have this group of seven veterinarians that came to us because one of the veterinarians' husbands owned a, a series of pizza places. And they said, would you do the work for the, my friends? So we had these seven people. We really liked working with them. And I pushed, you know, quite foolishly, all my chips towards the veterinary space. And it turned out that it worked very well for us. It worked well. So, and there's no looking back. It like, once we got into the space, we realized how much we loved working with people. Yeah. We had products that they needed and wanted, and they made us feel good. So I was able to like feel good, grow a company, and then you wake up and here I am, you know, and and 25 years later. So tell us more, because so you're you're in the marketing space and you cover like basically all digital elements of what practice can how practice can engage with its customers you and i both know and we spent a long while talking about these things that veterinarians still struggle with technology sure just as it seems like i'm always cautious of saying we're different because i don't think we are that different i think we are a very nice industry there are lots of amazing people in this industry and i think we are a bit more conservative industry in some ways as well and of course there are many changes happening just now but we seem to be very analog beings in an increasingly digital world. What challenges or what opportunities are, are we still missing? This is 2019. Right, right. The internet has graduated. Right. Like it's no longer smoking <laughs> cigarettes behind a bike shed. It's been on its first yeah. day. It's yeah. considering getting married. Right. But we're still seeing terrible running dog gifts. Right. I, I found or the what, trailer, I found, the trailer that follows the, the cursor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I found, and I thought I would never see this again. But the other day, I found a website that is still playing the James Harriet music, "All okay. Creatures Great and Small." You see? Yeah. I mean, that almost now is so kitsch. You, you think it would be a great thing? Yeah. No, I'm suggesting you go out. Please, people, do not go and get that. But why are we so like you? You have a lot of conversations. Right. What is going on in our minds, and how do we start to? You know, do we, should we? I mean, you're obviously a completely biased person to ask it. Should we? Yeah. Uh, we both think that you should. But how do we get people encouraged to okay, so, move so, in that direction? So check it out. So yes, we spend a lot of time in the digital space right now. But that hasn't always been the case. My firm's evolved to develop, you know, like communication tools that practices need to share their message and to have impact upon pet owners, right? Okay. Right. And... As we've made this journey and grown up with the industry, I've listened to many, many people have this common thread like we're behind and, you know, we're the vet industry, you know, they don't like marketing or they're not good or veterinarians are not good at marketing. I kind of take the other position on that. I believe that veterinarians and practice managers are as technologically advanced as any other industry. It's just that we're in the space. And I think that they're appropriately skilled, you know, because they're veterinarians. And where you might have, you know, obviously you're a veterinarian and you have the interest in technology and in working on a lot of your digital marketing yourself, that's the outlier. And I like that, but I also am quite fond of the veterinarian that says, I'm not really interested in it, and I realize that, that it's an opportunity that I need to take advantage of. Have somebody get some professional help, you know? I mean, I, 
there's some craft behind it. So if you were to ask me the greatest missed opportunity, I would say it's understanding who you are as a practice and who your market needs you to be. Right. Let's nerd out on marketing for a while then. Okay. Explain in a bit more depth what you mean by what you just said. Well, what I mean is that if you can decide that you want to be a boarded avian exotics vet, right? And you can say, I really like, you know, working with birds and I'm going to open uh, an avian practice in Brighton. Well, Brighton's a small town, right? And there are two boarded avian vets there already. The community doesn't need you to be an avian vet and they'd probably be better suited with you being a small animal vet if you need to be in Brighton. So, I mean, that's an extreme example because people aren't making decisions like that. But basically... But they are making decisions like that in terms of, you know, practices are opening. So we've got big drivers of change at the minute with older practice owners with bigger hospitals that have a certain revenue or doctor number are are selling to corporate... Sure. um, Corporatized, being corporatized. Where are you at in the UK as far as... Oh, um, we're, I think we must be past 60% of the market for really? corporate ownership okay. now. The numbers are smaller as a batch, obviously, sure. there, but the percentages are, are, are huge. And, and they're predicting, you know, might get up to 70 or 80% in corporate ownership. And not to turn the, the tables on this, on this relationship or this interview, but you kind of probably knew that this was going to happen. <laughs> so if I, we can take a side road for just a second. Like... When you, as a veterinarian in the UK, are watching the panic that is happening right here in the States over, you know, corporate medicine coming in, what does that look like from your viewpoint? All right, so my, my viewpoint, I'm going to put in a little caveat here to start with, Okay. in that, you know, I was in Australia for seven years before that, and then came back to the UK two years ago. So a lot of the corporate drive has been ongoing in the UK in my absence and I'm coming to the coming you know observing things at a much later stage but and the markets are different there's no question the markets are different like I think there is a number above which corporate buyers are looking for practices there's a different number from both sides of the pond there's a multiple and that's that multiple seems very high to my mind and that's driving a lot you know when, when private equity comes into the space that's driving prices up. Is there value in that pricing? Arguably, well, maybe, depending if you're big enough and you're, you can reduce your cost of sales, so you're getting just massive volume discounts. But ultimately, the market, we're starting to see signs of weakness in that model uh, in the United Kingdom with the share price of one of the biggest corporate consolidators has just been hammered, absolutely hammered, because they're not reporting the profit earnings, hmm. the earnings that they... Uh, had expected and how can you when you're servicing debt that is so high because you're paying massive multiples I mean, way more than, than is sensible to pay for practice in my opinion but you're also pricing out your next generation of vets who want to come in the same with the property market sure you know the younger generation who might be interested are not able to so I think there is genuine co- this, is, this is certainly a massive change for the profession the other thing that I'm seeing is a lack of mentorship which is actually and I must say I'm not throwing rocks at are, are you saying that that's worldwide or are you seeing that well, more so in the US over no I think what I'm seeing is this is more of a worldwide phenomenon 
there's something very different and we're straying way off of marketing and and uh, ownership and practices now but there's something going on in the, the space where we're not retaining talent within the industry so owners are selling out sometimes younger than they might have done they're not selling out in a partnership model now they're being bought out right so they're not staying on and they're not mentoring and, and transferring the skills over to the next generation and if you look in not all but certain corporate or in corporate practices it's often people are then installed as clinical directors with three to five years of experience as being a doctor and you don't you've right. not, not learned you're not you've not mastered your craft for at least five maybe more likely ten and you've certainly not mastered your leadership craft so you then have this problem where the it's almost the the bit visually impaired leading the blind and that me- mentoring gap i think that's one of our biggest threats because the threat is if you have got a 17 percent vacancy rate that's going to hammer your ability to generate revenue because you you can't you can't put someone in the consult room they can't yeah, right yeah. you don't make money yeah you can't do the, the ops you don't make money so you have to be able to staff your business and grow and i think that's one of the fears that corporate practice is doing this very well is engaging and drawing the graduate talent into the corporate world by engaging with them at the student level but then that talent is not then mentored particularly well and we're losing it somewhere but that's scary too because i just read a statistic that i wish i were prepared to uh, spit back at you because i was doing a lot of research on the hiring situation and the 18 months that a practice is waiting yeah. to get an associate. Mm. And I believe a lot of it has to do with marketing. So yeah. that you're marketing the position, you're marketing your practice, not right. only to a pet owner, but to a potential employee that comes through. Right. And I came across this st- statistic that was really interesting, talking about millennials. And it spoke something about the fact that if a millennial is not in an active mentoring program, they will look for a new position within 15 months, I believe. It's, I, it's a short period of time, is, is what my point is. But I can believe that statistic. And so most so first-time jobs in the United Kingdom, we know they'll hang around in their job for an average of 15 months. Okay. That's across the board. There's a percentage mid-20s that will leave their first job within 12 weeks of taking it up. 12 weeks? Yeah. And what's the reason behind that? So lack of support, wow. lack of lack of professional, lack of career support. The actual truth is the reason behind it is pure job selection. So is the practice not doing a good job of telling the story of, of the workplace? Could they, taking it you know, right back to what I like to speak about, and that's marketing and branding right. and, and understanding who you are and who the market needs you to be, yep. the, that includes the potential veterinarian too, right? It absolutely and does. Creating, you know, one thing you do really, really well that I admire is those beautiful employment ads that you put together. <laughs> and they are so you, like I think that I could pick those up and I could just be like, oh, Dave wrote this. <laughs> you know, so they're so, so that's a compliment in, so one, I'm saying I, I really know you well. And next, I'm saying that it's a really good piece because it is who you are and it's who the practice is that you and Hannah have created. Right, so there's a really good way to turn this back on to you since I'm not the, the one who's meant to be answering questions. You're absolutely right. And, and I firmly believe that marketing is for customers, but it's also for, it's for all people, customers right. and for, for teams. Right. So... How do practices go about building brand? 
customer brand and employer brand? Sure. Well, there are tons of exercises that a practice can go through to understand who they are. And I first recommend that practices reach out and they talk to clients and long-term clients and employees and just ask them a simple question like, who are we? And are we the practice or the business that you need us to be? And why is that? What are the things that you appreciate most? It's your why. It's the why you do things. And that becomes the very basis of a brand. Yeah. And that's where it starts. And I believe that a lot of practices or businesses around the world doesn't have to be a veterinarian. They just leave it there. So they develop their why and they're going to you know, develop a logo and a color palette and a, maybe a mission statement that they're going to hang on the wall and people are going to read, you know, for the first three days and then it becomes just, you know, noise blah, in the background, blah, 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 blah. But they fail to include their employees in the process of having them understand what the brand is and how, as an individual employee, they can contribute to the success of the brand. Like, this is your role within the brand, and you could speak about every role. You could talk at the reception desk, which is, by the way, I believe, one of the most important pieces of a practice because they have the most connection, they have the most communication, they're the forward face of the practice that the, the pet owner looks to. But, you know, I mean, I, and you're not going to be surprised to hear that my opinion is that those people are forgotten about. And they're the last people to be consulted, meaning the receptionist or the, right. the front desk person. Yep. And they've got a wealth of information. So I would say start with your employees and down to every single person in the practice. Have them understand what the brand is, what it means to the success of the practice, and how they can contribute. What? So you're talking survey them, talk to them, sure. record them. Sure. I like long-term conversations. I like conversations. There's one thing about sitting down with someone and saying, hey, you know, let's go to lunch and talk about our brand. But I like rather having a branding conversation that spans a month or a quarter of the year and having these ongoing conversations that involve exercises that allow a practice to dive in and understand who they are and who the pet owners need them to be. So it's, it's like a focus, you know, you're going to focus on, we're going to focus on learning who we are and, and going to introverted yeah. or uh, internal focused discussion with ourselves. Yeah, I, I was talking to a very advanced practice owner, okay, and we were talking about branding and everything, and I said... You mean advanced as an old or good? What or do you both? Mean? What do you mean? Like advanced in years or advanced oh, no, in <laughs> skills? No, he's a very, very successful veterinarian. Got it. We were talking about branding and going through a branding exercise and everything. And he said, I did that. I said, tell me about it. What does that look like? He said, well, we, we do a, a company retreat every year. Yep. And we took two hours out of our time and we branded ourselves. I said, so you sat around a table and you took a whole two hours to do that. He said, exactly. I said, he said, why do you have a crazy look on your face. I said, I don't think it's nearly enough time. Yeah. And it was a portion of another conversation that you were really having. Right. So, yeah, I just like, I like, I think you can grow a lot if people's minds and the creativity can bubble, you know? 
And you're pulling in and engaging your people at that point as well. Sure, which breeds ownership, right? Right. Let's stay with this for a little bit. As you've done your exercise, you've started to tease out some of those words and phrases and feelings and, and the beliefs about what it is you're all doing as a group. Sure. And you've built processes around it, I hope. Right. Explain more. Well, I don't know. Like, it depends on how it, how it could develop. Like, your brand needs to, you know, it's cliche as all get out, but you have to look at Disney. And Disney has a way, I mean, I'm so sorry for going there. Like, I mean, it's just so easy, but it's the most advanced brand in the world, but I there, believe. There are reasons why you went there. Because I it's guess. enormously pervasive and successful. If I, if I can share a story about sure, go how, ahead. Please do that. how pervasive Disney is. My daughter is six now. She, Which is incredible to me, by the way. <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah. When she was two, we'd go to the park and she's running around in the park. She can't read. She can interact with her parents a bit and, mm-hmm. and generally squabble with other children and crash buggies into each other <laughs> in the park and get stuck on a swing and have to yell at her daddy. To be she can't read, but she knew what Frozen was. Now, we don't have TV. We don't have, we've never shown her anything to do with Frozen, but she knew the name Elsa. And then because all the other kiddies knew what it was, she started to get FOMO. All right. And so then she started to reverse pester us. And you, you would see the products and, and the, the marketing is so pervasive out there. It's a beautiful I mean, it's, it's why, why it's, I mean, you come to the example and I, and I, I don't think you should mock yourself because it's, it is enormously successful. So tell us more there, about how there this isn't, works for Nothing's a mistake. It's all planned from the way you're greeted to the way people walk down the street to what's in their hands at any moment. It's all part of the plan of creating the perfect atmosphere while you're in one of their parks so that when you are away from their park and the Frozen theme song comes on, it immediately causes you to recall that happy time when you were walking down Main Street and you saw your family in the most, I don't know, I guess idyllic, you know, scenario. You know, everybody's happy for the most part uh, until the meltdown happens, right? (laughs) One too many ice cream cones. One too many and then you wind up, you know, dragging your kid home. But... (laughs) The whole intention of branding is creating a scenario within the practice that is pleasantly memorable and a direct reminder or memory of that experience so that when people think about caring for their dog, they're having a really accurate memory or recollection of that whole of that experience. And it's driven all the way through every aspect of a, of a successful brand. So, I mean, I, back to Disney for one second. I heard, like, the spacing of the bins is it's measured as the number of steps that one takes from opening up an ice cream to being able to deposit the wrapper. I hadn't heard that, bin. but I'm not surprised at all. And, I, and I, might, I might be getting it slightly wrong, but they measured how long it takes somebody to discard the litter. And they put a bin that number of paces because it reduces the amount of work they have to do in picking and up And why not? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. You can't and now I'm not saying that anyone is going to go that deep with their right. with their branding and the Right, but we can get past there's pee running down the desk it, and it's it, all frayed at the absolutely. bottom and there's leaflets falling off it, the walls. That didn't that thought to space out the, yeah. the trash cans yeah. 
that thought didn't happen during a two-hour jam session, <laughs> right? <laughs> no. That's, that's because, and that leads me to a, another point, Yeah, that it evolves. And it evolves from an obsession, doesn't it? An obsession with customers. It could be. That's what Disney is. They're, they're customer-obsessed. Oh, 100%. They are. I didn't know. I thought you were talking about in a veterinary practice. I don't, need that it nece- I don't know that it necessarily needs to be obsessed with customers in order to be successful. What can we do then? And what do you help? And what have you seen working in this space to create, let's call them Disney moments, but whatever okay. your version of that is. Okay, yeah. So I would say first understand who you are and who the market needs you to be. Like I said yeah. uh, several times moments ago. Then I would take a look at the ways you're sharing those stories, okay? And as I mentioned, involve all of your employees in sharing those stories. Take the time to create really, really good content. Content not for a search engine or something. Yeah. Although I spend a lot of my time talking about search engine optimization and all this stuff. Forget that exists and just think about the pet owner. I'm always talking about remembering that there is a person with a pulse and a pet at the other end of that message. And if you're not creating content that's going to be appealing to them and useful, you're missing the whole point. You see, if every time I picked up the phone from you, you wanted something from me, I would first probably start answering the phone and go, what do you want? And then eventually I would stop answering the phone because it would be less than genuine. Right. So my advice is to create a stream of engagement with content that is continuously helping that pet owner take care of their pet. But I don't have time, Bill. I'm a busy veterinarian. Oh, well, okay. So first off, you've got a staff and you should recognize the fact that they're brilliant. And if they're not brilliant, you should get rid of them. (laughs) And leverage their knowledge base. I say create a content calendar over time. One way that I teach practices is I get those those giant sticky notes, you know, those big post-it notes. And I teach them to put them around the, the back of a practice, you know, and label them one for every month and then create a game out of it and have people within, you know, the employees of the practice actually write topics for content for every single month and then leave it up there for 30 days, you know, and write all the content suggestions that they've got. And then at the end of it, have employees vote on what the best content ideas are, reward the person that came up with the greatest content and with this would be content that from their day-to-day experiences things ideas that are popping up triggered exactly. by reality things that clients are speaking about when yeah. they're driving to and from work you'll find yeah. that employees will walk right past the front desk right into the break room or wherever it is like they've got a hot idea but we've got to make it so that they understand how their ideas are going to be used and the impact that they can have on the practice and i want to make it attractive for them so i recommend that they know that the leading ideas are going to get a $100 gift card. So you give, wind up giving away $1,200 in gift cards for a year-long content plan. That's, I, I think that's a pretty good... That's a good deal. Right. And then if you want to take it to the next level, what you do is you say, Hey, Dave, 
that's a really good idea to talk about dentistry in, in February. I mean, it's just the, Here's I guess that's the shoe in, you know, okay, let's talk about dentistry in February like everybody else does. But thank you very much for that idea. You're now responsible for the dental content. <laughs> and what I'd like you to do is write a blog. I'd like you to look for opportunities within the practice to take some video yep. that supports the blog. Yep. I'd like to take some pictures. Yep. Let's do some Facebook posts, some Instagram. You know, let's tweet so it about it. It becomes a little project for somebody. It does, and you can build it into their employee evaluation. So now you've got more concrete things that a person can do to advance themselves. I have people all the time come to me and say, I want to grow here at InTouch. You know, I. You know, I, I want to be next level in my career, and I'll tell them to get involved. You know, I mean, there's never a shortage of things to do. So, this could be a real nice way for an employee to stand out and to contribute. Again, you've got buy-in, and if you do a calendar like I just suggested, think about the fact that if you know the content is going to be about, you know, in February you're going to be talking about dentals. Have the content for your review available November 1st. And then you've got this really great opportunity to counsel the employee, to mentor them right. along and say, you know what, you almost have it, but what if we said it like this? Or what if you know, you're missing the mark? This doesn't align with you know, how we're talking about dental procedures. Just an example. That's a nice, nice segue off into people, I think, Bill, because that's what, you know, marketing and people, I think you, you are a great people person and you look for opportunities to help other people grow. That's a great compliment. Thank you very much. Within InTouch, because, I mean, you, you look after more than five, 6,000 veterinary hospitals. Is that 7, right? 7,000. 7,000, yeah. right. So that's a, that's a l really large number. Your business, you guys started it, you know, so you were getting dough thrown at you by the, the angry pizza mob <laughs> to having 7,000 veterinary hospitals around yeah. North America and, and other <laughs> far-flung locations. How did you grow that business? Like, what were your challenges along the way? And what things work for you? Because I believe, you know, looking after people is, is a principle-based thing that can apply. You know, we, we can learn in veterinary medicine what works in other spaces, be it Disney, be it in touch. Right. Um, you, you grab your inspiration from all sorts of places. Hell, it's from nature and the color that you put in your practice. Sure. So can you give us some insight into, and with people being the flavor, oh. how you grow and, and develop your people? Okay, so I'd love to be able to tell you that I knew exactly where I was going to be sitting 25 years ago. Right. It's a process of evolution. Did you have a plan? Did you say, I'm going to make this size business? No. In fact, Katie would tell you, we never wanted to do this. <laughs> you know, we were like along for the ride, kind of, because we started the engine. It was like, uh, it went off on its own, and we were like running behind the car, <laughs> you know, like trying to keep up with it, right? Because what happened is we started in that message on hold space, yeah. and people liked it, and the veterinary community really adopted us, took us under their wing, and taught us veterinary medicine. It was so in line with why we chose the veterinary space, because the space is full of these wonderfully kind people that are eager to share. So what happened is we started with that telephone on hold, and soon people 
came up to me and they'd say, what is next? And that kind of allows me to talk about my first barrier and it was myself. I was really the guy that would stand there and I would beat on the table and I would say, we're the telephone on hold people. I don't care that you want copy written for a brochure. You know, and I wouldn't be this forward, obviously, with a client, but I'd say that's not what we do. Instead of saying, geez, maybe we could expand our business and start doing you know, copywriting for brochures because we had copywriters that were writing the content for the message on hold. And eventually, people started asking more and more for such things that they needed. And I realized that I was selling a ton of telephone message on hold, and eventually I was going to run out of veterinarians. And I had some choices. Either I could look for other verticals, or I could grow the business and expand the business and be able to stay where I love, and that's with veterinary medicine. So I did that. And all we did is kept our ears open and listened for what the market needs and then paid attention to technology and were able to like kind of build the bridge between the two and say like, you know, I don't know, like the market needs to have better connections with between the veterinarians and the pets. And my job was to find the technology that could build that bridge, I guess. So in sticking with the theme then, you know, you build the bridge, you find the opportunities. What have been the growing pains as you've grown the business? Because you're, you're you know, it's a multi-million dollar company. Growth rate keeps on growing, keeps yes, bursting. Sir. What have you been your pain points along the way? Again, particularly focusing on the people. I would say the biggest... Or the lessons that you've learned well, that have helped you the most. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that I would love to share. The first is, it took me a long time to realize that I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> Sounds weird, right? But, you know, I, I never realized that there are so many different sides to a coin. I would look originally and I would say, well, there's the front and the back of the coin. And then I've come to realize that it's got an edge. And when you stand it, it's got another edge and another edge and another edge. So I try to keep my eyes open and look for the things that are coming down the pipe. Now, as far as people go, I'm going to tell you that's the secret. My everything is my people. All the products, they're great. There are a lot of people that can build some marketing plans. Yep. You can walk on this show floor, Dave, yep. and you can find tons and tons of people that build websites and things like that, but not one of them has my people. And I'm proud to say that, and I would represent them like to the end because we've carefully selected masters of their craft and then people that actually work well together. You and I have had conversations about some employees that might not fit the brand and when we make the mistake and we bring people in that might not fit, we do our best to either find a different role for them within the organization or to ask them to leave because they're hurting the environment that we've worked so hard to, to cultivate. It's a performance culture that you've built. How do you mean? Well, that's focused on a goal. There's a clear sense of culture. Sure. What, what you guys stand for. It, it's everything. And, you know, people turn around and say the customer is always right. 
100%. The customer is first. I disagree with that. I believe that my employees are first. My philosophy behind that is that, sure, the customer is you know, right behind right. The, the employee, but the philosophy is that if you treat your employees well and you make sure that they are positioned to do their jobs in an environment that they appreciate, you won't have to worry about whether or not the customer is first or second because they're going to take care of your customers for you. I see examples of that all the time. When you walk by our booth and you listen to the conversations, you would swear that any one of my employees was the owner of InTouch because they feel it. It's in their heart, you know? When you're saying that, that's something that a lot of veterinary practices don't have. You know, in a lot of veterinary practices, the number one complaint that a lot of team members have in veterinary practices are people, customers. Sure. They don't like customers. This is a this to me is a kind of a challenge. How do we go about? Because veterinary practice is still just a business. This comes back to is veterinary medicine different to other sectors? A little in terms of we fix animals instead of sell widgets, but it's still a business. There's still certain processes, systems, all recognizable to every other business. You know, it might be a cat or a dog. It's an animal. It has a heart. It has a skeleton. It has skin. Veterinary business is aligned well with other businesses. How do we as veterinary practice owners, how do we build better cultures or how do we manage people? How do we give feedback to people? You know, to build a business like yours, you must have a ton of performance conversations. So how do we go about that? Because, and I ask you this very specifically because you have a way of saying things that lowers the stakes of the game. They're high impact conversations, but in, in a much lower stakes way. So the very first step is giving a shit. And if you don't care, and almost to the point that I want to put on the walls, give a shit. If you do that first... And that's you as the leader, right? That's, that's me as the leader, and it's every single person that is within the organization. I borrowed that from one of my guys. I didn't come up with that. We were getting ready for VMX just last month. And we had some new people that had never been on a show floor before. During a prep conversation, one of my guys got up and he said, do you know how you can be successful? Everybody sat straight up in their chairs and he said, just give a shit. Give a shit about the person that's standing in front of you. Give a shit about the words that come out of their mouths. And give a shit about the impact that they're going to have on a pet owner's experience within the practice. Then just be yourself and demonstrate what you do for them or what you can do for them. And everything will fall in place. I watched that room and I watched the body language of everybody in the room just relax. Like, all I got to do is care. If you've taken the time to put together people that care about one another, and then all they've got to do is care, that's easy. So that's where I start. You talked a, a little bit about the conversations that I have. I believe in communicating openly. I think that if you, know, you, you share what you feel and are considerate about how the other person is going to take it, 
it takes a longer conversation, right? You know, there are a lot of people that find themselves being proud of being direct. And you'll see people say that. They'll stand up and they'll say, I'm just really a direct person. And they, their chest gets really big and they say, but that's just me and people appreciate that. I don't think so. I think that being direct has a time and a place. Obviously, I grew up in the Marine Corps. Right. Show me a group that's, that's more direct than the Marines, you know. But I would tell you that if you take that long road and care about the person that's sitting in the conversation and how they're feeling, you'll be more successful in the long run. You mentioned the Marines there. And I said, before I go into that, let's imagine I'm, I'm somebody who's giving you concern. I can imagine I give you concern all the time. <laughs> but perhaps. How, <laughs> if I were an employee giving you concern, what words would you use to guide me? That's such a big question to ask, but Let's I put think some I can. It. Sure. Well, Let's give, it, give us some, some context. Okay. Or some so, so if I dimensions. if I had an employee that was causing myself or one of the people in my organization concern, I've taught my managers to start by asking, "What's going on?" and then shut your mouth and open your ears and listen to what the person says and then ask follow-up questions that are based upon the content that they gave you. Never be afraid to ask why. Never be afraid to ask for clarification. And then I always recommend that people pause and maybe even schedule a follow-up meeting after they've had time to digest the information and circle back, always asking why that person is feeling that way, express themselves that way, or is ultimately causing problems. I'm making air quotes that no one can see, but <laughs> making problems within the organization. Sometimes people are just jerks, right? Yep. And it's not a good fit within the organization, but most times there's gonna be something else that's the underlying reason. If you can get to that, chances are there are other people that are being affected by it. Mm. If that's the case, I say you talk to more people, figure out if they're having a problem with this particular issue and eliminate it if you can, if it makes sense, you know? Um, you mentioned the Marine Corps, so I want to talk about that. You actually almost asked yourself the question, or you, you, you shone a light on a question. Really direct, you know, I'm, think, I'm just imagining a full metal jacket, you know, the drill instructor, the drill sergeant, right up in people's face. It's a brutal initiation into an organization. Let's go there, let's completely segue back and just maybe give us an insight into Marine Corps life, and that, that boot camp. You, you, okay. you have the pleasure of visiting over in San Diego, the, the Marine Corps sort of boot camp facility. We did, didn't we? And it was, it was an incredibly insightful thing to go around and, and just actually I took a lot of lessons from the way that, that training happens there into other training programs that, that oh, I'm I glad. Yeah. Um, so thank you for taking me there. Welcome. Um, but I would wonder, give me some insight. Like, what did you learn there? What was it like? And what did you learn there that has served you the most through the rest of your career? First off, I loved my time in the Marine Corps. And I credit a tremendous amount of who I am today because of the time that I spent there. Now, I don't want to 
you know, I wasn't bound for, it wasn't one of these enlistments where you go to jail or you go to the <laughs> Marine Corps. They don't do that anymore, but they, we were famous for that, like, in the 60s, you know. I think we were, like, fueling for Vietnam. It's like, you know, so go to jail or go to the Marines. Like, I can't imagine that. But anyways, I wasn't, I wasn't a bad person. I probably wouldn't wound up doing things that were really bad, but I don't think that I would be able to do the good things unless I had gone through that. In fact, for a long time, until I realized how offensive it was to Katie, I would say the greatest day of my life is the day that I became a United States Marine. And she would say, wait a second, so you've got two daughters, you married me, you, you graduated college, all these different things that you did, and you're going to point to the Marines. And I would say, and I still kind of secretly whisper it at times, I would not be able to do the things that I do unless I learned the lessons of the core values, the leadership principles, the need to have integrity in everything that you do, the commitment to one another. There's nothing like having to depend upon another person all the way down to the point where if you don't do what you're supposed to do, that person and probably you are going to die. I want to pause right there and mention I didn't do anything in the Marine Corps. And I was able to pull back some of the, the covers and show you. I, I took you up to Camp Pendleton, and I took you to my old squadron, got you around some helicopters, and my friend uh, David took us through the, the, the ringer there. And I, you're smiling from ear to ear, and we had a great day that day. It was day. an amazing experience. So I was a, a maintenance guy on a helicopter. I'm a, basically a jet engine mechanic. So although I can speak to the experiences of others from a combat standpoint. I didn't do any of that sort of thing. So, But we're taught to support one another and the importance of your role within the organization. Again, look at, I guess now it's coming yeah, full circle, so you, thank if, you for taking me here. Yeah. Because that's where I learned that, I guess, where I knew that I had a role to do, and if I didn't do my job properly with the standards that were set, that the next guy couldn't do his or next girl couldn't do her Right, thing. you you botched the engine repair and the helicopter falls out of the sky. Right. So your, your brothers and sisters depended on those nuts being tightened to the right torque, the oil being tapped top right. up. Yeah. It's still connected to the greater purpose, the mission. It, exactly right. And the Marine Corps is just like a world. It's a world within a world. All the same positions that are out there in the civilian world probably exist or are supported by other branches within the Marine Corps and the other branches. But, yeah, I learned a lot there. What were, the, what were the values you learned? You talked about the values and and the the sense of purpose, I think, that, you, that, that gave you. How did you change the core values are honor, commitment, and courage. And I learned that there are priorities and you need to put things in order. It was the first time that anyone laid out like, you know, God, country, core. And if you can put that in that order, I was like, well, I guess they're all equal. I don't know that they are now, you know, because I was taught that there's a purpose and there's order and all those values. but. You asked a follow-up question, and I kind of went on a tangent, so I, don't, I really don't remember what the next part of the question was. 
how did you then? And so I, you mostly, I don't remember what the questions were when I started <laughs> them as well. Which after twenty four episodes, you might think I, I should have gotten the hang of that. I should probably about thirty episodes by the time this one comes out. But you keep listening, so you know it's all good. What were the lessons that you took? You know, the biggest takeaways. Like, what were the the things that impacted you into your life that you still use today? That you you can draw on that as an experience and go that was time well invested like the, you know it's, it's really what are the things that paid, have paid the biggest compound interest to you that are applicable in to all of our lives I think it's integrity is where I would start and if I were to point back to a particular I don't know that I could go back to a particular time where I learned that it was through the Marine Corps though I, I realized that I am representing an organization that I have a responsibility based upon others that came before me to uphold the traditions in their honor, in their memory. Mm. Maybe it doesn't necessarily have to mean because they passed on, but it could be the. Wow. They like that idea. Somebody just escaped the escape room. They really like that idea. They're (laughs) they're big fans of integrity. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But maybe it's the vet that's over at the other end of the bar that is proud to see that the the whole place hasn't gone to shit, you know, and that oh, we're taking care of the traditions right. like like he would expect. And integrity is one of them. So being honest to myself, being honest to my family, my employees, it's really, really important to me. And when I'm not honest, which let's just face it, it's really impossible to expect that everybody is honest all the time. When I, I can tell you that it is almost a curse that I feel sometimes physically ill. Yeah. Because they, you know, <laughs> they just drove it into me that it's important. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. You told me a funny story once, and, and I feel like we can't move on without sharing this story of the, All right. the time you were doing sit-ups in the sandpit. Oh, yeah. And, and then, then what happened next? So there's this thing that they do, and I can't remember what they call it, but it's basically a punishment for doing something wrong. And they'll take, first off, they're really great at pitting you against one another. You know, like if you did something wrong, well, you might not need to go to the pit is what it's called. Now I'm remembering. You might not need to go to the pit, but the rest of the platoon would. (laughs) So, so... In this particular time, it that, wasn't... That, that, that is not going to make you popular. Oh, no. You're but, getting a beat. Well, in the beginning, people want to kill you, you know? But then they realize it's all part of a game because every good buddy's going to wind up standing there. So what happens is they'll take... Oftentimes, they'll take the recruit and they'll have him stand at the beginning of at the, where the sand starts and watch everybody do sit-ups and push-ups and roll around in the sand. But the story you're thinking of, I believe is one where they took us to the pit and we had just cleaned our barracks. We had just cleaned them out and so that they were Marine Corps clean, right? So... Uh, we, you've got to tell me about the Marine Corps grass in a second. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that. it. So Marine Corps clean. So it's Marine Corps clean and meaning you could probably eat off of the floor and be quite happy about it. And then somebody did something wrong, so they take us down to the pit, and we're doing sit-ups and and all this kind of stuff. And then while we're doing sit-ups, they have us grab uh, handfuls of sand 
and then hold it over our heads and give us sand showers, you know? And it's something I forgot to tell so you. you have to do that to yourself. Yes, you have to do it to yourself. And something that I forgot to tell you is that there's this weird mix of them, you feeling like they want to kill you because they're very brutal and they're not very kind, you know, when they're communicating with you. And then they really want to take care of you. So, like, they make sure that you drink a lot of water and they always made sure that we were putting sunblock on, like, constantly, you know, because... <laughs> So it was very weird. Like, it's like, okay, make sure you put your sunscreen on. And you got this, like, <laughs> giant, like, mean drill instructor, like, telling you all these things, you know. And so now let's go back to the sand pit. We've applied our sunscreen. <laughs> and I'm, like, just sticky mess. And then we're, like, raining sand over ourselves. And then what they did is they had us tuck our shirts into our trousers and fill our shirts with sand. You know, by in the back of the collar. And then we went up into the squad bay and they made us change clothes. <laughs> well, the sand was everywhere. And what happens is drill instructors, they like, they change shifts. So like the first guy will leave and the next guy comes in. Well, it was shift change for him. <laughs> so the sand was everywhere. And the guy that's coming on duty just lost his shit. Because he comes in and he's like, what the hell is all the sand doing on? And then we had to clean the, the barracks. And then because we had made a mess of the barracks, he took us down to the pit again and, and rolled us around in the sand. So, you know, what's that saying? Uh, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. So you had asked, and we'll get back on to marketing maybe someday. But when I took you to a little story that we should share is I took you to the recruit depot and we saw a graduation and we were walking right by the general's quarters and on our way after seeing the graduation and you looked at the grass and I believe you had some kind of line like, I don't know, like you'd think that they use real grass and I <laughs> Because you thought it was like the fake AstroTurf. I thought it was AstroTurf. You thought it was AstroTurf. And I said, that's I real grass. <laughs> you said, that's not real grass. I said, yeah, it is. So you bent down and you touched it. And, and I've told that story like a million times like to Marines. You know, like he actually thought it was fake grass because it's so perfect and so green. And that's because there's some recruit that's like taking care of that 10 by 10 patch. And that's his whole job for a two-week period of time is to take care of that. <laughs> That whole grass. But anyways, <laughs> so I digress. And thank you so much. I, you know, thanks for allowing me to tell, you know, the Marine Corps stories and for allowing me to credit something that I really value a lot. I truly think that it's a great organization and that I'm very, very proud to have the title of Marine. Well, I think uh, we're all grateful to have people who go out there and do the tough jobs that, that really not all of us can do. And, and actually... Vets do a pretty damn tough job that not all people can do as well. So I can see parallels. Yeah, thanks. And um, I agree with you. So we're getting on in time. So I'm going to cut across to my quick fire questions now. I wasn't aware that there was a quick fire round. <laughs> there is a quick fire round. Okay. It's not multi, multi guess. Either. Let's go. All right. Now you don't have to give quick answers. You can or you, you can take it wherever you like. Is okay, there so. a prize? Oh, you need incentive. No, I don't. I just wonder what I'm playing for here. Is this just. Didn't know if we were. The prize is the gift of knowledge oh, to your very well to your loving listeners. Very well. There you go, and I may buy you a pint of beer and and thanks. I may accept. 
Okay, so what are you most proud of in your career and why? I'm proud of growing the company so that all the people within the company have the opportunities that they do. You know, there's a young man that's working with us right now that is so thrilled to work there. And he was a very recent reminder of just the impact we can make. And, you know, he thanked me several times, but one of the times that he looked at me and he said, thank you for believing in me. And I sat there and I thought, what the heck? You know, what a compliment that is. And when I watch families grow and people grow either in the workplace or outside of the workplace, and they're able to do the things that they love, man, I think I've, that's my everything, you know, it's, that's it. What do you think, what's your superpower? What do you, what do, you do better than anybody else? Wow. I'd say I connect with people. And one of the things that I read consistently in my lecture reviews is the connection that people feel when they come to see me speak. I hear it from my employees. I hear it from, you know, friends talking about how I'm raising my family. And I'm really, really proud of that. And I think it goes back to something that I didn't even know I was doing. And, you know, when Jeff, you know, introduced give a shit to our culture, I give a shit. And he put words to it, but I think I've been doing it for a long time. All right. What is your kryptonite and how do you work with it to avoid it? (sighs) So my Achilles heel, if you will, is procrastination. If I could eliminate the procrastinating, I would be a much better person. (laughs) Because I tell you, I get so stressed about things to the point that it's debilitating at times. And when I point back to what, it's always in a rearview mirror, right? When I point back to why I was so aggravated, why I might have lost my temper, why I was being unreasonable, why I was just... I was just not my best person, my best self. It's almost always around a situation where I didn't handle something in a timely manner and I waited to the last minute to get it done and I'm stuck in that place. So procrastination. What thing would you change more than anything else? If you change something in veterinary medicine, what would it be? I would change the fact that, how do I put this? I guess I would call it the imposter syndrome. And I would want veterinarians to understand that the public understands that they're people too, and that we're gonna make mistakes, and you are good enough to, to do what you do. And the communities that you work within need you to be the person that you are. So chin up and march on and realize you're making a huge positive impact on many people's lives. There are always going to be those speed bumps. There's going to be sharp turns and things are not going to go the way that you planned them to go. But please know you're more than qualified to do what you do 
and you're a very special person. So I would remove the imposter syndrome. Sucked it right out. Sucked it right out of the industry. Love it. All right, what was the best piece of advice you've either been given or you have given someone? Number one, the number one best piece of advice I've been given has been to be myself. I've found that oftentimes I've felt that people wanted me to be someone who I wasn't. And in almost every single situation where I tried to be something that they wanted me to be or do something that I'm not capable of doing, I failed. So be yourself. And conversely, and perhaps more amusingly, what's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given or you have given others? Let me see. One more bourbon won't hurt. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably, I've probably given that advice uh, uh, one or two times. The worst advice I've ever been given is to launch a product before it is ready for launch and then figure out the bugs after it's out there. I've made that mistake before and I failed miserably at it. I'm not ashamed to have failed, but I did. And so now as a result, I move a lot slower. <laughs> like I, I got a couple of products that are on the shelf that my staff is, are we ever going to do this? Well, <laughs> it's feeding your procrastination. Gonna, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. It's like maybe I'm making an excuse for my procrastination. I don't know. One more cup of tea. What's the most impactful book that you've read recently? Recently? Well, I just got done reading uh, Building a Story Brand. I think the full title is Building a Story Brand, Clarify Your Message So Customers Will Listen. Uh, it's by uh, Donald Miller. It's a really good dive into the why, and it allows you to see your particular business and the message that you're creating, how it needs to be structured so that it appeals to it properly appeals to the audience. So please, please read this book. All right. If, uh, let's say if you could go back in time and give a 20-year-old version of Bill Schroeder a piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? I would say that I would do a better job of developing and maintaining the relationships with my parents and my sister. I totally, uh, you know this, but... I think you know that I don't speak to them and uh, it's one of my biggest regrets it's that I didn't work on it as back then and I would say Bill this could be the most important thing in your life and it's going to take work and things are going to be crazy but really pay attention to this because you will be far better off in the long run so it's my biggest mistake, you know, outside of the workplace. What's the most controversial thing people don't know about you but really matters? Well, now you're going to have me, like, rocking back and forth, babbling. <laughs> the most controversial thing about me... Are you saying, like, in my... Can you rephrase the question? Because that's, <laughs> like, I don't think I'm very controversial, so I, I don't... That I mean, might I, be the most controversial thing, is you're not controversial. <laughs> 
There's no rephrasing. This is a quick fire question. I don't, I don't think that I'm controversial. Suck the question up or move I, on. I would say that the most controversial thing about me would be... You have six thumbs. No, I, I don't know. You um, once had an afro. Do you know that I was a private investigator? I did not know that. I was a private investigator for a handful of years, and I worked workman's compensation, physical disability insurance investigations, and I would often have to put myself in a position where I would have to be deceptive to people so that I could get the truth. Some of those people were those that I was investigating, and others were in the course of an investigation. So. I guess that, one, people don't know that I was a private investigator, and I was pretty damn good at it, by the way. <laughs> and that kind of, like, speaks against a lot of the things that I just spoke about, because in the course of doing what I did, I was oftentimes not being honest, and I had to do things that put other people in jeopardy, which is why I left, so... Right. So you, yeah, so you were not working in alignment with your values. Exactly. All right. Last question then, Bill. If you can send one tweet in the whole world, not that the whole world's on Twitter, but imagine that tweet could hit every phone in the world and everyone has to see it, read it. What would the tweet be? Be kind. The end. Bill, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I wish we had hours and hours more. I know that we would all learn from your wonderful and infectious blend of knowledge zest for life thanks humor and just warmth it's a ge- you know you genuinely love this profession i could tell from the moment i first met you it's there it's alive it's in you it's my uh, home it's your home and it's it's always a pleasure to come here and you make me feel very at home when i do visit america so thank you for what you do in the profession and thanks for coming on the podcast brother well thank you very much your friendship is one of my life's joys and uh thanks for allowing me to share my message with your audience thanks i had a great time today again dear listener thank you so much for checking out this episode i hope you enjoyed it and don't forget to say hi to bill on social media and let him know what you thought of the episode now let everybody else know what you thought of the episode as well you can best do this by jumping on itunes and leaving a rating and a a review i would deeply deeply appreciate that and if you are a team leader of some sort don't forget to check out the vetex leaders community at vetexleaders.com and let me work with you to help change your practice for the better so until next time thank you again for listening be safe be well and be happy this is dr dave out